So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at what we might call our values here at Redeemer or our motives. What are those things that are really important to us? What might be called the collective soul of Redeemer? What are those things that don't describe what we do, but hopefully characterize all that we do? The first is the glory of God. Then the gospel of God. Then the word of God. Then the people of God. And now finally, the mission of God. If you've been around a while, you know that in, in many ways I've been hunted, haunted, I'm sorry, haunted by a little phrase, every man, woman, and child. In Katie, with the repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. I came to Redeemer in the fall, August 2008, and cast a vision for our church that we'd be a strong Redeemer that's engaging our community and reaching the world. And a year into it, I really felt good if I could, you know. I felt, I felt like in the, in the first year here, we had really strengthened Redeemer on many fronts. And I felt like in terms of reaching the world, we were doing better. We were giving more dollars to missions than we ever had. But in terms of engaging our community, in particular with the gospel of Jesus, I didn't feel so great. It didn't surprise me. I, I don't have, I don't believe, a gift of evangelism. And so if you set your sights to follow me into evangelism, yikes, right? I went to a conference down in the Clear Lake area, came back from that conference. One of the leaders of that conference sent out an email to everybody that had been there and said, hey, we're looking to to start, to plant a thing, start a thing called the Houston Church Planting Network. We'd love for you to be there. And so I, I went to that meeting. And he's become a good friend now, but I'd never met him at that time. Chad Clarkson got up and he said, hey, you know what? We're, we're looking to start the Houston Church Planting Network. We, we don't know what it's going to become, but our vision is that every man, woman, and child in the greater Houston region would have the repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And I can remember hearing him say it, but it kind of went in one ear and out the other because it's like, you know, guys like me, guys like Chad, we say things, right? We just, it's our job is to talk. Well, a month later, they had another meeting, and I went back to it. And Chad said, you know, we don't know what's going to become of the Houston Church Planning Network, but our vision is that every man, woman, and child in the greater Houston region would have the repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And I thought, Okay, wait a minute. He said that last time. He just said it again. He, he must mean it. And I drove home this time thinking about that. Of course, when you drive across Houston, right? Houston's huge. That was 2009, 2010. So at that point, about 6 million people. We're up over 7 now, right? 6 million people. And I'm thinking, he must be crazy. There's homes everywhere, apartment complexes everywhere, businesses, skyscrapers everywhere. And he wants every man, woman, and child to have the repeated opportunity to see here and respond to the gospel. Impossible. I went back to the third meeting. And this time he had some different guys there. Uh, Tim Hawks from Hill Country Bible Church was there. And he was talking about 
their vision to see every man, woman, and child in Austin, Texas have the repeated opportunity. And a guy named Jerry Gillis from Buffalo, New York. And he was talking about Buffalo, New York and Erie County and how they were working together with other churches with a vision of every man, woman, and child in Erie County. And Jeff Shipman from Columbia, South Carolina, same thing. Todd Melby from Southwest Florida, same thing. And I'm listening to them. And what's impressing me or wearing down on me is they, they're talking like they mean it. And they were talking about a missiologist named Dwight Smith, and I'd never heard of him. And a missiologist is, you know, that's a fancy word. Um, that's someone who studies the mission of the church and, and how God's people follow God, who, who is on mission himself and, 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 and what that looks like in local communities all the way out to the nations. They study missions. And they were talking about him and some DVDs that he had put together. And so I, I, Chad confirms, as far as he knows, I was the only one who went home and bought those DVDs. And I started watching Dwight Smith talk about churches taking responsibility for every man, woman, and child in their city. And the repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And so as, I, as that began to haunt me, and I'm thinking... Is that what God wants for Katie? I think we have to answer yes to that. And I begin to think, well, there's no way Redeemer Community Church is going to get it done. Number one, they're led by me, and I'm no great evangelist, and we're just a little, you know, we're not too big. How? And, of course, Dwight also encourages in the midst of that, you, you've got to begin to partner together with other gospel-loving churches. And so, uh, Marilyn Budawig was our assistant back then. I said, Marilyn, would you make a list of every church in Katy that you can come up with? And we had another fellow on our staff who'd been in Katy for many years. I said, can you put an, a check mark by every church you know and trust? So we did. And so I started calling these guys. And, I, hey, uh, this is Mitch. I'm the Pastor at Redeemer Community Church, been here a little over a year. Can I take you to coffee and share with you something that's on my heart? And 10 or 11 of these pastors said, sure. And so I had these one-on-one -on -one meetings with these pastors and said, you know what? I've been in these meetings and I've been watching this video. Do you think God wants every man, woman, and child in our city to have the repeated opportunity to see here and respond to the gospel? Yeah, me too. Do you love Christ and his gospel? Yeah, I, me too. Let's, let's start coming together. And so we did. That was way back in 2010. We called it Christ Together, Katie. And it's been like this over the years, but that group is still meeting together. We've done many things together over the years. For the last several years, for the first several years, I was the point leader of it, and then for the last several was not, and in God's providence, I'm now back leading it again, which I'm excited about. The aim of Christ together, Katie, the, at the middle of the bullseye is saturation. Every man, woman, and child in Katie with repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And then around that, we, we have four priorities. One of them is transformation. 
And what that priority does is it, is it pushes down on a lead pastor like me and says, Mitch, what is Redeemer Community Church doing to help in the discipleship process of its people? To help see by the, by the, the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God to see transformation in the lives of his people. That where each and every one of us would be being transformed from the inside out to be more and more like Jesus Christ. That's, that's one of the priorities. Another one is mobilization. Mitch, what is Redeemer Community Church doing to help mobilize its people? Not only to live transformed lives, but then mobilizing them to live on mission with Jesus, where they live, where they work, where they play, where they study. Another one is collaboration. If indeed the vision is ever going to become a reality, no one church can get it done alone. We're going to have to collaborate together for the sake of the gospel in our city. And then finally, multiplication. How is Redeemer doing at multiplying disciples, multiplying groups, and ultimately even multiplying churches? Every man, woman, and child in Katy. It haunts me. And I wonder if it couldn't be a burden that would haunt all of us. We said last week, the first three of our values, uh, the glory of God, the gospel of God, the word of God, they are a little bit more, if you will, vertical in nature. And then these last two are more horizontal in nature, the people of God, right? That's, that's the church family. And we talked about community and love and, and discipleship growing up into Jesus. But then this one, the mission of God, is not our relationship with one another, but our relationship with those who do not know Jesus and his love for them. We said last week that these fit well with the purposes of a church, often stated upreach, our relationship with God, in reach, our relationship with one another, outreach, our relationship to those who don't know Jesus, or worship, nurture, mission, or exaltation, edification, evangelism. When we say that we want or are motivated by or value the mission of God. This means, and sometimes it feels more aspirational, we want this to influence all that we do. Right? We want the glory of God and the gospel of God and the word of God and the people of God and the mission of God not just be the thing that we do, but, but the the thing that characterizes all that we do. And I'm talking about every man, woman, and child in Katie, but this value also is what drives our desire to be as influential as we can to the ends of the earth. And the gospel ministries that we support around the world, our team in just a couple of weeks that will be going to Poland 
and the like. If you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 1. For most of you, probably nothing new here, but just to remind us, to spur us on, to stir us up by way of reminder, maybe Peter would say, in the book of Acts chapter 1, John Stott writes about the book of Acts, he says this, the Acts is also important, however, however, for the contemporary inspiration which it brings us. Calvin called it a kind of vast treasure. Martin Lloyd-Jones referred to it as, quote, that most lyrical of books and added, live in that book, I exhort you. It is a tonic, the greatest tonic I know in the realm of the spirit. Stott goes on, it has in fact been a salutary exercise for the Christian church of every century to compare itself with the church of the first and to seek to recapture something of its confidence, enthusiasm, vision, and power. At the same time, we must be realistic. There is a danger lest we romanticize the early church, speaking of it with bated breath as if it had no blemishes. For then we shall miss the rivalries, hypocrisies, immoralities, and heresies which troubled the church then as now. Nevertheless, one thing is certain. Christ's church has been overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit who thrust it out to witness. There in Acts chapter 1, if you know the story, Jesus has lived and died and is risen from the dead, spending time with his disciples before he will ascend back into heaven. And there in verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And Almost everybody makes note of this. Jesus saying to those disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. Don't you dare go one step without my presence. You need me. I'm about to call you to something incredibly great, but I'm not going to send you out alone. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come again just the same way as you have watched him go into the heavens." 
Jesus has lived and died and risen, and he is giving final instructions to his church before he ascends into heaven one day to come again. And the instructions to his church, you'll be my witnesses. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. It's the final words of Jesus, if you will, consistent with all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that all end with commissions, if you will. Of course, the most famous, Matthew, chapter 28, 18 to 19, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Be about making disciples, which implies sharing the good news of the gospel, seeing people come to faith, teaching them in all that Jesus commanded them. The Gospel of John ends with Jesus, I say it ends, chapter 20, with Jesus with his disciples. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Do you and I live with a sense of sentness, a spirit-directed missionary impulse that propels a person on mission with Jesus. Well, back here in Acts chapter 1, it simply reminds us that between Pentecost, right, Jesus tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait. And then they do. They go to Jerusalem, and in Acts chapter 2, just like Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. That's Pentecost. And here's another fancy P word, all right? Parousia. It's a fancy word for the second coming of Jesus, which the angel says, this Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. So between the giving of the Spirit of God to his people in Acts chapter 2 and the coming of Jesus Christ, between Pentecost and Parousia, the church is to be about the proclamation of the gospel. Leslie Newbegin wrote this about the church in the book of Acts. The church is the pilgrim people of God. It is on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to beseech all men to be reconciled to God and hastening to the end of time to meet its Lord who will gather them all into one. It cannot be understood rightly except in a perspective which is at once missionary and eschatological, looking to the future. Between the giving of Christ's Spirit in chapter 2 and the coming of Jesus Christ, the church, you and I together are meant to be about announcing 
what Jesus accomplished at his first coming and calling upon men and women to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ in light of his second coming. We could go elsewhere in the New Testament, as you know, to build this burden upon us. Sometimes at Redeemer, we talk about my circle, our circle, and the world, right? We want to be a people who live on mission with Jesus in my circle. That's where I live, work, study, and play, right? My neighborhood, my workplace, maybe the school that I, I go to, the place that I play, maybe, maybe that's you know, you go to a coffee shop, maybe you go to a gym, maybe it's your kid's sports team. You got, you got all these people who, who don't know Jesus. That's, that's my circle. We want to live on mission with Jesus there. And then we talk about our circle, which is the geography that surrounds this building. God providentially put you in the neighborhood where you live, and God providentially put us right here. Surrounded by how many homes, workplaces, schools. And I want you to think about those two. Think about my circle. Think about our circle. And then just a few words from Jesus. You give them something to eat. Some of y'all know where that comes from, right? The multitudes, they're hungry. Hey, Jesus, send them home so they can go get something to eat. No, we're not going to send them home. You give them something to eat. That's all we got. It's plenty. Bring it to me. And they bring it to Jesus, and he does his thing. But who still gives them something to eat? The disciples do. Think about my circle. Think about men, women, boys, and girls who live, work, study, and play all around Redeemer Community Church. You give them something to eat. Keep thinking about it. My circle, our circle. And imagine Jesus walked through that door and he came up on this platform and he stood right here and he said, hey, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Think about your neighborhood. Think about where you work. Think about the households and schools and the multitudes, as Jesus would say, that he looks upon with compassion because they are distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says, pray that God will raise up laborers who will go and tell all of the multitudes who are like sheep without a shepherd about Jesus. Think about, think about your, my circle. Think about our circle in Jesus in Luke chapter 19. Do business until I come.
nobleman's going away, and he's got ten slaves, and he gives each of the ten slaves the exact same amount. And as he goes away, he's going to receive a kingdom and come back. And he says, do business until I come. Matthew Henry commenting on that. So the word properly signifies, you are sent forth to preach the gospel, to set up a church for Christ in the world, to bring the nations to the obedience of faith, and to build them up in it. You shall receive power to do this, for you shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. When Christ breathed on the 11 disciples, saying, receive the Holy Spirit, then he delivered to them 10 pounds. That's in the parable. Now, he says, mind your business and make a business of it. Set about it in good earnest and stick to it. Lay out yourselves to do all the good you can for the souls of men and gather them into Christ. Do business until I come. And we could go on, go on and What rises to the top is that we are a people on mission. God is on a mission. Theologians speak of it as the uh, missio dei. We we talk about the imago dei, the image of God, the missio dei. God's on a mission. And he calls his people to be on mission with him. We are a sent people meant to live with a sentness to us. I don't know how many times I've drew our attention to Romans 15 and the implications it has for a church like Redeemer, but it haunts me. And you'll just remember, Paul writes in Romans 15 that, hey, I've been wanting to come see you, Romans, for a long time, But I've been prevented so far. He actually said that in chapter 1 of Romans. I've been prevented. But we don't find out until Romans 15 why he was prevented. And the reason he tells us is that he's been about doing work from Jerusalem roundabout is Illyricum. And if you trace his first missionary journey, second missionary journey, and third missionary journey... You see what he means, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. If we were looking at a map, it would be Jerusalem to Illyricum. I have fully preached the gospel. And you say, what in the world do you mean by that, Paul, that you have fully preached the gospel? Surely you have not given every man, woman, and child the repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel between Jerusalem and Illyricum. What do you mean by that? Here's what some of the commentators say. I've read these to you before, but let's hear them again. There are three things Paul has in view when he makes that statement. Number one, he had started strong churches. Number two, the churches were in strategic centers. Number three, the churches would accept responsibility for their region. If that commentator is right... What Paul did was he planted churches in strategic places knowing full well they would accept responsibility for their place. Another, the statement, 
I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ is not intended to mean that he had preached in every community between the two points mentioned, but that he had faithfully preached the message in the major communities along the way, leaving to his converts the more intensified evangelizing of surrounding districts. Another. Paul claims that he has brought to completion in the regions designated his own special apostolic task of planting strategic churches. As Knox puts it, he could say that he had completed the preaching of the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum only because this statement would have meant for him that the message had been proclaimed and the church planted in each of the nations north and west across Asia Minor and the Greek Peninsula proclaimed widely enough and planted firmly enough to assure the name of Christ would soon be heard throughout its borders. Another. This does not, of course, mean that Paul had saturated the whole area with the gospel, as we might say today. His strategy was to evangelize the populous and influential cities, plant churches there, and then leave to others the radiation of the gospel into the surrounding regions. Finally, so what is the strategy for the completed Great Commission from Romans 15? It is apostolic ministry of planting strategic churches, and then those local churches mobilize to penetrate their region. God planted Redeemer Community Church in 1998. Ron Jones, planting pastor, but good men and good women forming that team that would plant this church in 1998. In a strategic center. I was at a wedding last night. Mark Wells, who leads our worship, his daughter Kelsey got married, was visiting. Steve Drenth was there. And then another couple that was a part of planting Redeemer was there and got to visit with them, and he was telling me stories about coming on 99 and looking west to the land they had just bought and being, having Ron Jones say, can you see that pine tree? That's the land. That's where the church is. Anyway, 1998, God planted this church. Why? Why? Granted, it's implied from the Romans 15 verses. It's not explicitly there. But all of these guys, and who knows, maybe one guy wrote it, and then the next guy doing his commentary read him and said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then the next guy writing his read both of the, And so it just built. Who knows? But I think we could all agree it's probably right. What does Paul mean he fully preached the gospel? Well, he had planted the churches, established them, and then he left knowing that those churches would take responsibility for gospel ministry, gospel witness in their place. And so may God help us as we seek to live on mission with Jesus. I've got a video I want to show you. So I want to race through these quickly. Number one, if you will, go to the Lord again and think about my circle, where you live, work, play, and passion, or where you live, work, study, and play. 
And if you say, okay, I'm thinking about it, I'm praying about it, what do I do? i got a good buddy who loves when I share this. Remember the blessed lifestyle. And he picks on me. You're going to teach us bless again? I say, hey, when you start obeying it, I'll quit preaching it. That's my joke back to you. Now, what do you do? What do you practically do when you, okay, my neighborhood, where I work, people far from God. What do you do? Bless. Begin with prayer. Just start praying for them. Listen with care. Visit with them. Ask them questions. Where are you from? Listen. Eat together. Have them over to the house. Y'all come over. We'll put on some burgers and have a great time. Serve in love. As you find opportunities, needs that they have, say, hey, we can help you with that. And then share the story. As God opens doors and as you and I, by the power of the Spirit, are courageous, share the story. It's number one. Remember, think about, pray about my circle and the bless strategy. Secondly, if you're not in a community group, we'd love for you to be in one. And in fact, we're, we're hoping to pilot what we're calling, not just we, others, missional communities. They're similar to community groups, but what's different about them is that hopefully they put mission at the forefront of why they're getting together. And along the way, they will experience some family-type stuff of community where they get together and enjoy a meal and that sort of thing. And there will be discipleship that will happen as they will spend time in the Word of God and prayer and encouragement and life. But at the, at the point of the arrow of a missional community is that we're going to serve together in the city for the sake of Jesus. And each group will look to the Lord and define together what is God calling us as a group to do here in our city. Maybe it's to help with the Pregnancy Help Center. Maybe it's to help with Hope Impacts. Maybe it's to help with Clothed by Faith. Maybe it's to launch a new ministry that nobody is doing in the city. Third, many of you participated with us in Awaken West Houston back in March when we spent 30 days in prayer and fasting and praying for lost people all over our city. All during that time, I had sweet times of prayer and lots of writing down my prayers and ideas that came to my mind. And um, There's just one I'm going to throw out there and we'll see what God wants to do with it. I talk about our circle, right? Well, I got to hurry. Our circle. This geography that surrounds Redeemer. We need to start Maybe something called, maybe, Our Circle Initiative, where by God's grace, with His strength, we're going to do something about making the gospel more accessible to the men, women, and children who live, work, study, and play right around here. And I wonder if there's not a leader here at Redeemer who would love to lead that for us. Faith-filled, creative thinker who can build a team to help us make the gospel more and more accessible.
to the men, women, and children who live, work, study, and play right around this place. We'll call it quits there almost. I want to show you a video. It's from a man named Michael Frost, missiologist. He spoke at Dallas Theological Seminary way back in 2010 at their World Evangelism Conference. And he spoke about Jesus' call upon our lives to follow him. And in particular, he's, well, he's reciting a poem and about our response to Jesus' call to follow him. Let's watch the video. It's grainy, fuzzy, but the audio's good. Let's watch and listen, and then I'll come and close us in prayer. When you really want to say no. It was written by an English poet called Adrian Plass. And I'll just close this session by reading it to you. Uh, the title of it is Amen. And it goes like this. When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, well, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? And I said, amen, I think. <laughs> I think amen. Amen, I think. I think I say amen. Look, I'm not completely sure. Could we just run through that again? You say my body could be killed and left to rot and stink? Oh, yeah, that sounds terrific, Lord. I say amen, I think. But, but Lord, look, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said, you could put up with sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? And I said, amen, a bit. A bit, amen, amen, a bit, a bit, I say, amen. Look, I'm not entirely sure. Could we just run through that again? You said I could put up with sneers and scorn and spit? Well, yeah, I've made up my mind and I say amen a bit. Well, I sat back and I, I thought a while and I tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says Christians live in joy. That's true, he said, you're going to need the joy. <laughs> to bear the pain and sorrow. Do you still want to follow me? And I said, amen, tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That, that's when I'll say amen. You see, I've got to get it clear. Let's just run through that again. You said that I would need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yeah, I think I've got it straight. I'll say amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you. Not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? And I said, amen. No. I quit. I'm awfully sorry, Lord. I'd like to follow you, but I don't think religion is a manly thing to do. He said, you forget religion then and you think about my son and you tell me if you're man enough to do what he has done. 
Are you man enough to see the need? Are you man enough to go? Are you man enough to care for those that no one wants to know? Are you man enough to say the things that people hate to hear and battle through Gethsemane and loneliness and fear? And listen, are you man enough to stand it at the end, the moment of betrayal by the kisses of your friend? Are you man enough to hold your tongue? Are you man enough to cry? And when the nails break your body, are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown. Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down. Are you man enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, Amen, 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 amen. I said, Lord, I'm so frightened. But I also said, amen. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to say amen? To Jesus Christ's call upon our life. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Go therefore and make disciples. As the Father sent me, so I send you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. Lord, help us. who are frightened to still say amen. Yes, Lord. I will follow you in taking the goodness and the grace and the love of God in Jesus Christ to my world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.